The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyze. We failed. But in the year of the spoiler war, it became something greater. Our last best hope for answers. The year is 2015. The show, down below. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm Ann. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to be joined once again by a return visitor to Down Below. Say hello to Mitch. Hi. Hi. Mitch. Welcome Hi. back. Thank you. So I think yeah, last week, this week, and another one down the road were tied for the second most requested episode so this still isn't the first no wow it's another one. Oh, really this isn't the one okay wow i think i misread my list last week i thought this was the most but it's second mm. can't imagine why yeah it wasn't a good episode at all was it <laughs> it was just average <laughs> today we are here to discuss episode 10 of season 3, Severed Dreams. But first, here's an ISN special report. Previously on ISN, behind the scenes. And cut. End of recording. I can't believe this martial law wreck. We're ISN, damn it. Aren't we supposed to get, like, a heads up on this sort of thing? I've got family back home. We all have. I reckon it's gonna get interesting just about everywhere. Hey, anyone know why the chief in Brown Sector of all places? I'm glad you could all make it. What about martial law? Don't worry. I think I've just the exclusive you after. Let me for you. I can't have my best report on the beast story, can I? Are you serious? What's that? A PPG? I don't want you running back to He's gonna kill her. Do something. Hey, Chief, I got some breaking news for you. And now, the finale of ISN Behind the Scenes. Starring guest Mitch as the ISN Chief. What did you do? He's not dead. At least not yet. Is that what we are? Murderers? That'd make us no better than the chief. Enough! You hear that? Security! Trouble. Get out of here. We'll meet up later. Are you alright, sir? Yes. They all fell for it. But Sheridan's boarded night watch out of security. We've got help on the way. As soon as they arrive, we're that block set foot back home, we can arrest them for treason. I caught the whole thing on vid.
Not now. It's us. Come on, let us in. Fine. I'm a little busy here. I'm packing for home. Wait, what? I can't stay here. My brother just called me. Nikki's been drafted. I will not have him caught up in all this. You can't do that. You tell me, why not? The chief's off the grid, but security just went through his quarters. They found something chief must have dropped. Basically, we're screwed. Any of us go back home, and we'll be branded traitors. And you know what that means. It's worth the risk. What about Nicky? If you stay here, he'll be safe, but if you head home, he'll get dragged into it too. Kill him, most likely. Fine. For now, but if I hear one word that he's in danger... We get it. But as we're stuck here, let's make the most of it. With Geneva down, we've got a responsibility to get the news out. What, some kind of ISN underground? Now that's a great name for it. The rest of us are in. What about you? I'm in. One question. Who's going to cover the battle? Pardon the interruption. I have some news which I believe you will find most interesting. Would you like to hear the latest in Marvel television, film, video games, and comic books? Or are you looking for some ideas on what to pick up on New Comic Book Day? Well, join Mike and Eric on Mighty Marvel Geeks every Saturday night on Sorcerer Radio and every Sunday on the Weeby Geeks Network for all things Marvel. There is a matter that requires your attention. Mighty Marvel Geeks, assemble. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Severed Dreams originally aired April 1st, 1996. It was over a month after the last episode. The network wanted to save it for sweets. Mm. It was directed by David J. Eagle, who last directed Dust to Dust, the Bester episode. And written by JMS. And the other big thing about this episode, second Hugo winner, isn't it? Yeah, best dramatic presentation. Oh, nice. What was the last one? Was uh, the, the one oh. last uh, season, right? Oh. The, um, yeah. The, um, I'm trying to remember which one. It's not the Geometry of Shadows. It's the Coming of Shadows. I think is the um, one from season two. That one, the one with the old um, Centauri Emperor. Yep. Hmm. So remember how in the season one opening, Sinclair said Babylon 5 was a dream given form. That dream was severed in this episode. Not literally. <laughs> yeah, not literally. <laughs> but breaking away from Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to it, but that's not the only thing that's broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get started with the recap. Is this the only time we see Lando in this episode? I think it is. He's, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's upset about how long he has to wait in line and blames him on the Narn being in charge because they're inefficient. So then this Narn guy who's maybe having a little fun with Lando <laughs> says it's not being recognized when he runs his card. And Lando says it's never would have happened if the mm-hmm. humans hadn't started fighting. Don't mess with bureaucracy. Yeah, don't mess with the people in charge. Wando <laughs> is such a crybaby here. <laughs> he is. He is. Was the um was the Narn played by the same guy that plays other aliens? Yeah, I think it, yeah, Kim Strauss. Yeah, he played the green Drazi, right? Yeah, one of those Drazi. Yeah. Oh, well, the main one that was speaking a lot because I yeah. recognize his way of speaking. The, yeah, the voice. Yeah. 
I don't know. It was it was funny, but it was a bit petty. You don't really want to piss Londo off. <laughs> I kind of think these guys do. There's nothing Londo can do about it at this point, and Londo started the whole genocide against the Nards. Well, yeah, exactly. That's why the, the pettiness. You know, it seems it, it seems like it's just you don't want to piss him off for this little reason. You know what I mean? He could put one call in to, to back home and say, you know what? These Narns are, are not treating me right. You uh, know? They're under beef bug jurisdiction now. Exactly. Yeah, but they, they have all the people back home that are under uh, Centauri rule. And Londo mm. has a pipeline back there. So Yeah, he could threaten their families. It's then up to each individual Narn whether they go back to Centauri. Sorry, back to um, Narn or Narnia to um, deal with it. Yeah, so I mean, it's fine for them there, but I don't know. Just to piss him off for that little petty reason, I thought was maybe a little out of character. But I get the feeling that every one of these Narns has volunteered for this, and they know the consequences. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed a little silly. So the Alexander is in a space battle with another ship, the Clarkstown. Uh, Alexander is Hague's ship, and the Major Ryan, who's in charge, doesn't want to leave any people behind or kill Earth Force ships. Major Ryan is played by Bruce McGill. I'll get to the story of him mm-hmm. being cast on the show later. Uh, yeah, there's been two in- stories involved in this, because there's Bruce McGill's story, and then there's the um, General Hague story. Yep. Yeah, Bruce McGill's been in everything. I know in the commentary y'all recognized him, but yeah, he was in, he's been in Resilient Isles lately as an Animal House, MacGyver, Jim Lincoln. I remember him as Al the Bartender from the last episode of Quantum Leap. Oh, that's a show that's, you know, one of my blind spots, one of my <laughs> shows I need to watch all the way. I've seen episodes here and there, but not all of it. Did you recognize his second-in-command, Phil Morris? Or he's played by Phil Morris. He was the Martian Manhunter on Smallville. And he, he was one of Jackie. He was one of the Starfleet cadets in Star Trek Three when they were okay. bringing the Enterprise back. Yeah, it's Jackie Childs on Seinfeld, and he does a lot of voice work. So, yes, General Haig was supposed to be in this episode, um, <laughs> like you guys guessed. But the actor booked a role on Deep Space Nine. Oh. He says... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Traitor! He, yeah, I mean, yeah, he says... I mean, they booked him for B5 long in advance, and he said, oh, accidentally double booked for this other show and for Deep Space Nine, and it was a two-part episode, and he got paid more money for it, so he... Yeah, basically, he went for the money. JMS seemed kind of suspicious about when this other booking might have taken place, like... It may have just happened more recently than he says, and maybe not by accident. What do you mean, not by accident? Well, he kind of made it seem like that he kind of accidentally double-booked without realizing, I guess, it was going to be at the same time, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Oh, like he knew, but he did it anyway? Yeah, he, like, you know, just kind of said, I don't know, mm-hmm. who knows. But he said that he only, JMS said that he only had to change three lines because of this, and he would, know when you hear it so i was watching the second time kind of imagining general Haig being you know in the role you can kind of i think actually is a happy coincidence because it adds more weight to what's going on it absolutely general Haig, this big figure that's been in charge of everything is gone yeah, yeah he didn't really like have a huge role up till now so 
was he hasn't, somebody. but he's been the person Sheridan's gone to with everything involving the conspiracy with Earth. He doesn't have that figure there anymore. Yeah, so Haig bailed on him and killed him all. <laughs> <But it's, laughs> I saw the workers' guy. It was like rule number one: don't piss off the writer. But he I'll you know, you. said that you know Haig. What did he say? I created the character to have him available for this episode. Afterward, he would fade away while the others took up his standard. So. Well, you know, it didn't really it didn't really change much to kill him off. Well, you saw what point. happened with Talia, so yeah, you really <laughs> don't want to make him angry. He created him for this episode, you said? Yes, he did. Yeah. So they do. Ryan does end up having to destroy the Clarkstown so they can collect their fighters and escape. And he's sad because he knew the Clarkstown captain and. They need to go somewhere while they make repairs, and there's only one place they could go. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Babylon 5. Did now JMS actually include the name of his own um, cat in the actual episode, wasn't it? <laughs> Cats? Uh, uh, yeah, because he mentions an Abyssinian cat. Yeah, when the because the people, the who they killed... Um, and yeah, he knew their yeah. families and yeah. that he had a cat. Yes, I picked up on that the second time. There are some weird-looking cats, I think, <laughs> to me at least. I guess I have it in my notes later about how Bruce McGill was cast, but it's somewhere in my notes. Yeah, we can go into that later because that's another fun story. It is. So, opening credits... Sheridan tells his staff that the Alexander will be there in five hours. What to do? What to do? He, so they're just discussing what they can do. Sheridan wants the comm system shut down when the Alexander gets there, but leave a private channel open and leave the ISN feed open. It says Hag is coming and bringing hell with him. Did anybody <laughs> notice? That. Did anybody notice in this scene that our favorite alien was a human? Bill, oh, was Bill Blair there? Bill, I don't even know what he was. Bill Blair is credited as alien, which I love, but he is one he is one of the two male techs sitting down below. There's an Asian one and then a Caucasian one. That's Bill Blair. You yeah, see, I that's what happens when he's not under makeup. You don't recognize him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ooh, hmm. It reminded me of... Uh, what Sheridan said, that lie from the Book of Revelation. What is it? Hell followed with something like that. Uh, from season two. Yeah, yeah I, I think I remember the quote, but it's a bit awkward. There have been a few variations of that, of Hell following with them. Yeah. Well, Garibaldi had one last week, didn't he? Yeah. Something, something similar. Yeah, five minutes behind him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so now we can basically rewrite that line into make it your mind, Zach. The next episode, everything's going to hell. Lanier's <laughs> <laughs> taking the doctor to see someone discreetly. It's a Minbari ranger who was attacked. Bounty hunter's looking for him. He's been out gathering information. <laughs> and they want to know how they're going to get him past security. And Jakar and is completely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lurking. He's learned well, from Kosh. <laughs> He's waiting for somebody to need him, I guess. 
hiding. This gave me the giggles again the second <laughs> time I watched it. I was just like, <laughs> See, I know where is he listening. coming from? I've been listening to too much intro to X because all I can think of now when he does that sort of thing is Teleco. Is this how you do car? I'll help you. This ranger is the son of Michael Parks, who, like his father's in a lot of Tarantino and Kevin Smith movies. He is After, the ranger? Yeah, the guy plays the ranger and his dad. They both do a lot of Tarantino movies. Yeah. I don't recognize him, but I do know his dad. So next, uh, Jane, the ISN anchor, she tells us that the head of the Mars Provisional Government will not impose martial law. Hmm. There's a song called Martial Law, I think. It's, I just popped into my head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Google that. But yeah, you were <laughs> you asking for a name for um, Jane, and she does actually have a name. She's, at some point, she's credited as Jane. Uh-huh. But she was interviewed at one point, and she was never given a last name, so she made up her own last name. She's Jane yeah. no Nastaname. <laughs> yeah, they just referred to her as Jane in this episode. I couldn't remember if they'd ever said a name for her before. Mm. This was the only time she appeared that had a name given to her. But it is really great having this consistent anchor that we've seen since the beginning. Yes. And now with the events in this episode, it adds weight to what's going on. In in addition to having the events happen on ISN, it's happening to a character we know. It is. So Earth is considering all options in response to what Mars is doing. The Alexander comes through and they, B-5 kills communications. Sheridan addresses CNC, telling them they're going to help in spite of the standing orders they have, and anybody's free to leave if they don't like it. But all Clarence looks so confused about what to do. (laughs) He commented on the direction of this, and yeah, they do have a really nice shot from the pit up on uh, Vanover and Sheridan. You're right, it's a nice little shot. Yeah, the direction was definitely noticeable this episode as being very different. Mm. Sheridan explains that they're going to give aid and the people on the Alexander are just as loyal to Earth as everyone else. And these are extraordinary times. JMS said on the commentary he liked seeing Ivanova and Sheridan standing side by side, but he kind of regretted not giving Ivanova more lines. He's kind of got wrapped up in what Sheridan was Ivanova always needs more lines, though. (laughs) Yeah. Sheridan's all good times for speeches. He couldn't exactly. <laughs> and he got like, like two or three of them in this episode. Yes, <laughs> and he got to broadcast it to everyone. In MedLab, the injured guy says the shadows are moving, and they made some alliances with non-aligned worlds members. And the non-aligned members are—they're afraid they'll be conquered by the Centauri if they didn't. But now they kind of dream of conquest. Mm. And they think that nobody can beat them if the shadows are protecting them. The Great Council said that these are other people's problems. OPT. He's just a small bit of dialogue <laughs> here, but I've got, got to hear what you think of that. Yeah, it's like, um, it's weird that they're kind of, I mean, they're... Because, first of all, we think it's just Londo who... Morton has made a deal with, but 
the Shadows are also working with Earth, and now we're finding out they're working with other races as well. Mm-hmm. So, they're... is Morden in all of those places? Like, is he hopping back and forth to everybody, or do they have what do you more? Want? What do you want? Of course, that assumes Morden is the only one working for them. Yeah, that w- that's my question. Is uh, yeah. do they have more humans ish? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm right. not positive. I still like can't shared Morton his life. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so they're protecting people against the Centauri, the Shadow, but they're also working with the Centauri. Yeah, it's, it's very, very odd because, like, they're presented as, at least to us new viewers, as these sort of, like, almost otherworldly type beings that have all this strength and force and might. And yet it seems like they're just trying to like get people to like take each other on you know like it seems like they would just be able to go and destroy the non-aligned worlds on their own but yeah, yet they could just go and slice them in half right that's what it seems like but then then you have them them going and actually trying to get them to do it themselves so you, you wonder why that is you know why do they do that why do they bother doing that so that's a good a good mystery yeah and why why do you think they're doing that because well, <laughs> go ahead, Heidi. <laughs> I, I I just have a a thought related to the Vorlons. Like you know, the Vorlons seem to want to control everybody. So maybe the the shadows sort of have this god complex too. Like they you know want to control things, and uh, they seem to take a more active role in what they're doing. Like the Vorlons kind of refuse to come out and actually help, but the shadows, you know, will go and destroy some planets and ships and things if they need to. So, yeah, I feel like maybe it's sort of something like that. Elizabeth? (laughs) I mean, I I have, I guess I just have the only thought I can think of is that they don't have the strength that they seem, you know? And and they can't do all that for some reason. That's the only thing I can think. I mean, I don't know. I, I cannot figure out what kind of plan they would have, um, you know, to do that. Like some master plan of, I don't know. That I, I'm stumped. Mm-hmm. I would also like to bring up at this point, where the heck are the Vorlons? Like, where's yeah, the- where are the Vorlons? <sighs> I'm a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're conspicuously absent. Yes, they are. It's... I feel like I feel like uh, right now would be a really good time for Kosh to, I don't know, say some cryptic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And say these petty problems are not my problem. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Um, the Grey Council wants to stay out of all of this as well. Of course they do. Which is funny, because aren't they supposedly, like, the warrior cast was getting in there? I would think they'd want to start some wars. Well, it all goes to what Delenn says later, that they're not picking up the burden of this war that's clearly coming. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next, Major Ryan arrives and greets Captain Sheridan and others, and we find out that General Haig is dead. He's killed in the last firefight. So, um, yeah, apparently and they're... they conveniently cleared up his um, body off the bridge really quickly because in the yeah, opening before. scene, he's nowhere <laughs> to be seen. Right. Yeah, I guess Major Ryan had already been promoted to captain or leader, whatever. 
apparently there is an outtake where uh, Major Ryan, uh, where they ask where General Haig is, and Major Ryan's like, General Haig's doing Deep Space Nine. He was double booked by his agent. There's nothing we're doing, so you have to do with me. <laughs> it's on the blooper reel. Amazing. I have to watch that. Okay, so apparently, um, JMS met, he was a Twin Peaks fan. He met Everett McGill at a restaurant and decided he wanted to use him, but he couldn't remember his name, so he told, you know, the casting, go get that McGill guy and casting is like a Bruce McGill. And since JMS couldn't remember the first name, he has trouble remembering names. He said, yeah, that guy. So they hired him without, you know, audition. He wanted to hire him without audition, brought him to the set. And then when he went to meet him, it wasn't the right person. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it was too late to do anything. So they just decided to use this guy. But JMS ended up now. being really happy because of yeah. the performance. I think he oh, did yeah, a fantastic job. Yeah. He's pro. See, nowadays he could just go and look him up on IMDb and then he'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. 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 So Major Ryan says that some of the senators have escaped from Earth Dome, but troops are out and uh, shock troops are out in full force in a lot of the major cities. What I like and, about and, this is the order of which he lists off the cities. New York's right in the middle. It's not given prominence over the other cities. It's just, personally, being not from the US, it's little things like that that add something extra to this show that they're not US-centric. No, I'd have said Portland first if they were here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the, the cities are welcoming the truth because it cuts down on crime. I guess there's still crime in, on Earth. It's not like, called crime. It's called something else. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, but if you remember from earlier in the season, when we had the political officer, remember all yeah. crime is committed by the mentally unstable. <laughs> yeah. But on Star Trek, there's probably really no crime, though. <laughs> it's all been eliminated. But the the one chance they have is Mars and... Yeah, he says that Earth Force is going along because Clark has p- his people in key places and people are afraid to speak out. And then they get a message that Earth Force has started bombing Mars and we see a missile attack. That was craziness. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like the S has hit the F, <laughs> really. <laughs> it really is. That overkill. reminds me of, you know, did we watch Veep? Yeah, yeah it was a hilarious. Oh. oh, I remember, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> And what do we see for the first time in this scene, Ian? Thunderbolts. They're type of star fury. Bit of technical information. I know it's not to everyone's taste, but these star furies are designed for atmospheric combat as well as space combat. And they change the design slightly. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. Yeah, so hopefully there's more than one dome on Mars. <laughs> I don't think everybody's in that dome. Okay, good. But it seems like they could destroy it pretty easily. Wow. Yeah. Shadow. Now that was on. That was on Ganymede. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first they, one was on Mars. They've shown it before, and there are different domes in different places on Mars. But still, one shot, and they've completely eliminated this particular dome. That's oh, a lot yeah. of power right there. And it also shows what a coward Clark is. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But it also shows how fragile the technology, or, or you know, is on Mars. Because, yeah, you pierce that dome, and 
all the compressed air will fly out. Uh, I think it's not just the fact that it just takes one weapon. It's it's one weapon to trigger an explosion. It's fragile technology, I think. You know, it's all fairly new, maybe a hundred years old. So there's, you know... <laughs> it just makes you think, like, Bari. if it was so easy to just destroy Mars, it's like, maybe they should have thought... Maybe I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't have been so defiant so openly. Yeah, like, like, like that their defense is in place first. No one would expect someone to do that, though. No one would expect someone. I guess you you're know. right. I mean, I guess you probably wouldn't expect them to just destroy you. Yeah, Clark seems pretty desperate. Delenn is leaving Lanier in charge while she goes. Yeah, Lanier warns her that the council might not see her the same if they see her at all. Didn't they say last time that oh, they weren't going to? Yeah, that she would never see the inside of the council again. Yep. Yeah, they yeah, did. Well, that wasn't a prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> to see uh, Jakar and Ivanova arrive, uh, Delenn thanks Jakar for his help, saying that he's changed since season one. <laughs> And then she heads off. I thought that was kind of a backhanded compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't think so at all. I think that was honest compliment right there. Look at what he was when she met him. He was an arrogant git. He was all about war, 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 and whatever would move his people forward. He has been absolutely changed by his visit with Kosh. No, I get that. I just think, like, I, I understand that she meant it truly. I just think that taking that, you know, maybe somebody, you don't want to hear that as a compliment to yourself. You know? Oh, you really changed. You're great now. You sucked before. <laughs> I think Jakar knows he sucked before. Yeah, he took it well. But yep. I just don't think it's the greatest compliment you can give somebody. Remember when she used that thing against him in the first episode? (laughs) We remember JMS, we remember. Yeah, well, so Jakar could have said something very similar right back to her. Well, you don't choke people anymore, do you? (laughs) (laughs) You changed too. Your face has changed. (laughs) (laughs) After she leaves, the Churchill arrives at the station and Captain Sandra Hiroshi is in charge. She's on their side. She's coming in. Um... We see an ISN report after this that the attacks are going to continue until Mars falls in line. And this other mustache guy interrupts Jane. Oh, this other mustache guy. (laughs) Or this other guy, the mustache guy. He doesn't get a name, but... No, he gets a name. His name is Rick. Jane says, don't do this. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He does say that. This was the scene that made me a fan of the actress. I had not actually noticed her before it was just a background character okay we see them they're a dime a dozen and then she showed something the first time i saw this episode and my heart broke when the set comes down and it ends and as far as we know right now that's the end of isn my heart just broke for this character and i'm like oh my god now i love this character i want more of her i had to go back to the the first episode of Midnight on the Firing Line and watch every single appearance she'd done. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I want more of her. I had to go look for more movies and stuff that, that the actress had been in just to get my fix. She's, I, I'm always a fan of the little guy. Yeah. 
Maybe he's just reading things into it, but I'm almost certain that even before this, she goes through a small arc and she she's developing a, a personality as she goes along. She and you is. can see it develop in her reports. Mm-hmm. And and I I do think there's been subtleties where she tried to say more than the words on the screen to get information out that she can't. You're absolutely right on that. I will take your word for that one. <laughs> Rick says that Orion 7 and Proxima 3 are broken away because of what happened on Mars, and they're going to be independent until Clark is impeached. Jane, Jane tries to stop her from talking, but he's describing what's going on in the studio and around with the uh, forces coming in. And he said there's information they haven't been able to tell for the past year, but before he can say what it is, ISN goes black. I wonder what they know. I hope we get to yeah. see more of them. Oh, and the commentary JMS said that more the stuff falling in was a little more than they had wanted to. It seemed like a honest reaction from Jane when the stuff was falling down. <laughs> it was. I've talked with the actress about that. They had expected a little bit to come down. It came down right in front of her, inches away, and she was pregnant at the time that this was filmed. Oh. Yeah, so that was absolutely an honest reaction. Yeah, um, it's been a while since I actually listened to the interview on um, the old Babylon podcast, but she seemed to really enjoy this role. I bet. So Hiroshi comes in and explains what they already knew. Orion 7 has gone independent. And she says Clark is sending his elite forces to take care of colonies they think might leave. So the Agrippa and the Roanoke are on their way to B5 after they get some reinforcements. They have orders to seize Commando B5 and put it under the authority of Clark and the Night Watch. Uh-uh. Wow. And they don't think the aliens will intervene because they're all busy and they have six hours tops before they get the ships get there. Clark is scared. He's in paranoid. Mm-hmm. So when the other captains leave, Sheridan talks to his people. They have two options, fight or surrender, and neither one of them are good. <laughs> um, during this scene, they do the whole push-pull maneuver, and when I saw this for the first time, I hadn't seen too much um, film and TV. I'd seen, you know, generic Hollywood stuff, but I hadn't ever seen that manoeuvre before. I've seen it tons of times since, and, you know, it was done way before this, you know, um, Hitchcock and everything, but... Are you talking, the, 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 are you talking about the push-pull Yeah. Sheridan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've always heard it called a push-pull manoeuvre because... The you know the the way the cat you know the um he, I think the camera moves in but they pull the focus out at the same time so you get this effect and it's effective here um it really really gets you into Sheridan's head at this point and you know as the sound also fades out you because you're hearing. Um, Franklin talk about the other races that's a new bit of information so it's everything's just piled on top of him and it's breaking point it's a, it's decision time I think he mentioned on the commentary that that shot of Sheridan was inspired by Hitchcock yeah. but 
Yeah, they're thinking about all the people counting on them, the 250,000 on the station and the other billions. There's too much at stake to walk away. Franklin thinks they'll either be court-martialed or killed. And everyone agrees that they should fight, which could lead to them all being killed. So in hyperspace, you see that the ships are on their way to B-5. And next, there's a walk and talk with Sheridan giving orders for their preparations. He needs to make a call in the meantime, but also they need to get Draw's holographic system on Epsilon 3 ready, get access to it. I think in this scene already, you're seeing the posters in the background, the old Nightwatch posters being ripped. Um, yeah, but we yes, were like, we are. why are they leaving those up at all? It's it, it's TV license, it's <laughs> set dressing to, you know... Signpost for the audience saying they haven't gone away completely, but they're off the station. It was like after election and the signs are still up for a while. <laughs> yeah. I think they have laws now that say you have to get them up in a certain oh, amount of time. Oh, that's been fun. I'm so glad our election's over now. <laughs> Even though, um, yeah. Seems like there are a lot of elections over there. Maybe we talked about it on this show or another podcast, but. Like well, well there's, um, there's local elections, which sometimes yeah. happen at the same time as general elections, which is what happened this past week. But we've also got um, elections for the European Union. Uh, so um, those happen occasionally as well. Reminds me, I need to mail my ballot in. Yeah, we'll do days. that. <laughs> hmm. Wait, you need to mail your ballot? They're in November. Now, we have some election. I don't even know what it is, but there's some election going on right now. We have May elections and then the general election. It's probably a primary. I know. I swear I get like three a a year. Re-election booklets a year here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This has been our election section of the podcast. At least I get to mail mine. I don't have to go down. Well, maybe I'm on it because... um... Earth in um, this episode is basically a dictatorship now. It is. Delenn arrives on the Grey Council ship and she says they will see me. This is the start of badass Delenn in this episode. Will suffer mm-hmm. me. She, she, and she goes on, says that she served on the council for 16 cycles and she was the chosen of Dukat to replace him and she held him when he died. I don't know how much of this we knew before. Well, we knew some of it. We did. I, I think this is the first time we hear that she held Ducat as he died. Oh, for some reason I thought I... Well, maybe I didn't know she held him. Maybe I just knew she was we there. We knew she was there, yeah. Yeah, we knew she was there. We knew she knew Ducat and she was the chosen to replace him. Yeah, um, I feel like we just got, um, like, a bit more of this information that we already had a little bit mm-hmm. of. Yeah. yeah. Right. And again, she meant to Svalen. Kind of intimidated that guy. <laughs> Didn't she, she, <laughs> yeah, she's like, yeah, back out slowly. I'm pretty sure he wet himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I guess there was a question about why the Grey Council isn't on Minbar, and JMS was saying that they're always on the ship, being part of the universe, giving it an exotic, distant feel for its people, as though among the gods. He said that. Yeah. Now I know um, where this writing comes from. 
I just like the idea that they're just always hanging out in that chamber with the lights. Put <laughs> their hoods on. Actually, yeah, in the commentary, he calls this chamber the God Chamber. Um, I'm not sure yes. we found out why yet. I think we have, but I won't go too into it. It has to do with um, a CGI effect. I'm not sure we've seen yet. See, notes, notes, notes. So she goes before them and gets to do a great, a great speech. And long story short, she says they abandoned the prophecy they were created to meet, and she blames her pride, and <laughs> she ends up breaking the staff, even though in reality it wouldn't break when they kept <laughs> Oh, it, yeah, so another thing from the outtakes. They had to cut it so it would break, and the, when it finally did break, you can kind of see in the scene she kind of smiles a little bit because she was so happy when it finally did break. <laughs> And she says, yeah, the council must be broken. She breaks the staff and the worker and religious caste leave the warrior caste behind. They're going to take action. Mm. I like how that I, guy like tried to grab that guy's hand as he was walking past. Yeah, like, are you sure you want to do this, buddy? <laughs> buddy? Yeah. So, so, I mean, uh, before we go into the scene too much, uh, um, Mirafalan was drawing on her own experience of um, living in the former Yugoslavia around the time things really escalated there and um, her experience with people not wanting to act um, on the escalating problems. Mm, okay. So, uh, JMS, I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, JMS was saying that the warrior cast doesn't think this is their war because they led the last one and kind of with a blow to their pride, so they're kind of like, screw these guys. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, this war um, is, is kind of prophesied and prophecy comes from the religious cast, and the religious cast are the ones who ended the last war, so why should we listen to you again this time? Yeah, I mean, this is this particular part of the war probably wasn't prophesied, though, right? Well, she yeah. says she did say the the breaking of the council has been prophesied. It wasn't prophesied when the council would break. It seems just that it would happen. Oh, I just meant like the the whole fascist. Uh, oh Earth no, Civil no, war no! I don't think. think that part of it because that's got to do with Earth. That's not got to do with. Um, the Membari. Yeah. It just so, seems a little easy, I guess, for her to get all those people to come follow her. I don't know. Force of personality. Yeah. <laughs> and she couldn't get them to not kick her out, but they're going to all leave the council now. Well, she has learned how to give a rousing speech from Sheridan. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking at more notes. The Great Candles Council could have taken a lot more actions. Uh, being supported behind the scenes, getting the warrior cast more involved, could have. There's a lot they could have been doing that would have that wouldn't have required tipping their hands, but they didn't do anything. And now with B5 on the edge of falling, to say it was not their problem was too much. Now it's the time they have to start coming forward. Hmm. I wonder if we're gonna see them in the new like meetings about the Shadow War, and will they be wearing their hoods or not? Is the question. <laughs> I swear it was Nehrun. 
Mm. I think that's. Um, I think Narun is the one Delenn was speaking to when she said the line: yeah. "The problem of, problems of others are not our concern." That's my theory, but you can't tell who she's speaking to because <laughs> um, JMS actually says the hoods weren't meant to be pulled all the way down, but someone did that. You know, they did that originally when they first started doing the Grey Council, and so they've got to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it would, you know, so they wouldn't have to put them in makeup. Yeah, that that definitely helps with that. Yeah, well, it definitely does now. But I, I, I'd imagine the first time they shot the things, they put them in makeup and then they put this hood over the top of them. Uh, oh, well. Next, Sheridan rings up his dad, just checking on his parents. It's a nice little moment before the chaos. He doesn't know when they'll speak again. And, He's kind of like saying and, stuff without really saying stuff. And who plays his dad here? Oh, who was he? His name is Rance Howard. You would know yeah. him as the father of Ron Howard. I thought he looked like Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> He's Ron and Clint Howard's dad. And I swear during this entire scene, it's like an actor's master class. Just the two yeah, of them playing off each other was amazing. Yeah, well, it is a favorite thing for JMS to write. He, he admits the favorite thing for him to write is two-handers. Yep. Um, yes, I, yeah. loved, I loved this. And knowing who the actor is makes it even better. One, what was he talking one of the about? Things, sorry, I was going to say one of the things I like about it is the fact he used to be an ambassador, but now he's um, retired or perhaps even trying to run a small little farm it, it yeah but both sides of his character come across equally well he's he's intelligent he he's thoughtful but at the same time he's very grounded papa sheridan tells him not to worry about his not to worry about them and remember that first lesson he taught him don't start a fight but always finish it mm. uh it's a thing that's kind of stuck with me because there's certain things in the show that always stick with you and a couple of them come from this episode like that thing or that phrase and you know sometimes it's easy to forget but it's a great little thing to try and remember that it's you know if you take it the right way or you know don't let your anger get the best of you, basically. And also, you know, you, the other way to read it in finishing a fight, you don't have to finish a fight physically or, you know, win it. Just be the one to resolve it. Be the one to be the better person and find a resolution. It is one of JMS's favorite lines of dialogue. He uses it a few times in Babylon 5, but he's also used it in other places. For example, in the movie The Changeling with Angelina Jolie, he reuses it there. And uh, at least once in every series that he works on, he uses that phrase. Something to watch for. Uh, yeah, so maybe in Sense8, we'll hear it again. Mm-hmm. I, I was watching an episode of He-Man, and he, uh. <laughs> he wrote more, and the line is in there, too. Wow. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to go back and watch you, man, again. 
I'd actually like to go back and take a look at Shira actually, because to see whether there's any influences on Buffy in there and things like that, because she was kind of this warrior um, woman for children in the 80s. Well, I will tell you that they have Spoo as a food in both He-Man and She-Ra in episodes oh. of the JMX Rose. Oh, my <laughs> I'm so getting on that. Is that on Netflix? <laughs> let's do a podcast, Will. Yes. Oh, it can't be an intro cast because I've seen it. Oh, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> really? If, well, it could be. You just need to find... Um, people who haven't seen it yet, you know. Oh, there's but, nobody who hasn't seen human. No kidding. <laughs> there's got to be a bazillion episodes of that show. There's actually you know, not yeah, that but many. There's, there's, yeah, you there's know, people young I... enough who haven't seen it and are old enough to, yeah, talk it. Not talk about it, but consistently podcast without having to worry about other things. Yeah, I don't know. I feel um, like there would be too much mocking involved, and then I would get angry. I think there no. are a lot of episodes. There's, uh, if I remember right, there's 130 He-Man and 130 She-Ra. They, okay. they each lasted to... two seasons, and there were 65 <sighs> episodes per season. Yeah, but there's not that many seasons. That's what I was saying because I have the DVDs. So, I think awesome. there's an old podcast out there though that looks at um, old TV programs and old TV cartoons. I can't remember the name of it, but. I listened to a few episodes five years ago or so, and if it's still out there, so you know, someone might know the name of it. Yeah, there are two seasons, 130 episodes. Well, I'm always surprised when I look at look up old cartoons that it seems like they must have done like a bunch of episodes, but then I'll look and see there are only like you know 30 or 40. It just seems like there were a lot cause maybe because they were on every day and we watched the same episodes over and over again. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so next on Babylon Five, there are a lot of people running around again. At least this time, though, it's valid. Yeah. The fighter pilots and security getting ready to Star Fury's launch. Sheridan goes to CNC and gives his speech. Hmm. There's uh, because of the unconstitutional actions of Clark. Uh, he uses a holographic system to broadcast a message across the station because Clark violated the Earth Alliance Constitution. Babylon 5 is breaking away from the Earth Alliance. Woohoo! And they're going to be independent until Clark is removed. And when this is over, he says that anyone who wants to leave CNC can before they break any regulations. And Clarence stays. <laughs> See, wasn't this so much easier than a whole fake gate thing? And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah this was Someone so does much easier. <laughs> Doesn't his hair look? I thought his hair looked a little different in this episode. Like it's more up a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the lighting did make him look a little bit more adorable than usual. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's... there was one guy that left though. Yeah. The... yeah. Not everybody was on board with it. That was the Asian guy that worked with Bill Blair in the earlier part of the episode. Same time. That's actually kind of interesting, that he was okay giving humanitarian aid to, quote-unquote, an enemy ship, but he wasn't going to stand by whilst they broke away from Earth. 
I wonder what happened to him. Did he like was he shipped off the station later on? Probably. Yeah. I don't think we ever saw him again. At least not in this episode. I I'm trying to remember they showed that long shot of all the people at the end being shipped off the station. I don't yeah, remember that's him what being I was on thinking. That. Yeah, most of them had Nightwatch armbands on, though. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was Nightwatch. She might have, uh, yeah, might have wants to go with the star theories, I guess, because she's a calming presence. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if one of us my faith in the Almighty. Yeah. Sheridan okays it. Was it on the commentary or maybe in my head where somebody said that, yeah, she really shouldn't have sent out JMS basically says that as well basically he said yeah for plot reasons I have to have her out there but it doesn't make much sense essentially that's what he says I wasn't sure if I imagined that because I was falling asleep around this time (laughs) but you also said it on your commentary that uh, Heidi and Elizabeth that didn't really make sense what it does give us though it gives us more Clarence later on because otherwise it would be Ivanova doing those lines. That's right. Sheridan calls Ryan and Hiroshi and the Grippa come and the others come through. The Churchill. Where am I? Okay, the Churchill and the... Well, the fighters launch. There's a lot of stuff happening in this. <laughs> yeah. So the fighters launch and the enemy attacks first and the fight begins. Much to Sheridan's chagrin. I know how serious Clarence looked when he was reporting all the status of everything. His back is all straight and <laughs> <laughs> everybody's shooting at everybody. In the commentary, JMS was saying that, you know, you can buy these stock explosions, but they couldn't afford them because no. they were broke. So the way they had to do the ended up you melting. See, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 they just couldn't afford it and they weren't really... They've got better equipment than they had in season one, but still, you know, they're still pushing the limits on what they can do. Yeah, they ended up melting a camera trying to do that. And, uh, <laughs> I can't remember how he described the way they did it, but they ended up melting the camera and the film inside and having to do it again. Wow. And he said that he showed this episode at a convention to people that hadn't seen it before, and they were stunned by how just how great it was. And he said this is the sequence that won the Michigo Award showing two future armies in battle because like on Star Trek it's usually just like one or two ships you know f- just shooting at each other yes they're, they're kind of both stationary as well it's not uh, until later seasons of DS9 that you get any sorts of maneuvering from the ships and it's kind of just in from a technical point of view it's pioneering for B5 um, because it, it, it feels very visceral yeah, Bellstar Galactica had good space battles as well. Yeah. I have to think they were influenced by the show. I would think so. So there is a breaching pod that breaches Brown 95 or 85 or something. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and the kind of another thing I've just realized when we're talking about this is that because Sheridan's giving Clarence the orders, Everyone is getting their orders from Clarence. He's kind of he's the relay person. Yeah. So this is a big thing for Clarence at this point. <laughs> well, he did just get that promotion a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, he did. And he had a date with Ivana too. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
but also having this preaching pod, it, it it's another different dynamic that you don't always get. So you've got the spe- you've got the space battle going on, which B five is involved with with their exterior weapons, and you've got this ground battle inside the station as well. I think this is my only complaint about the episode is it looked like the Narn were running single file just to get shot up. Yes, by the... it did. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that great. Was really sad. Yeah. I mean, like, it's shot um, brilliantly. It's the music shot brilliantly. was great. Yeah, music is great, but <laughs> it... this is why the nine were Narn were conquered so easily. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah, they, just, they just stand there one at a time waiting for the Centauri to take them out. <laughs> that reminds me of the South Park movie, but I won't go into that. I really made uh, Starship Titanic um, a few days ago, and there's the whole thing in there of you know a race of artisans basically getting overwhelmed by a, a, a force because... They don't, they don't fight to kill, and so they always get overwhelmed. And when any, when humans end up killing the enemy, they're shocked and they can't believe it. Usually, the whole they've got this whole line. They usually fight until our last man, and that kind of is a whole thing with the Narns here. That you know, if it continued, yeah, they just get overwhelmed until the last Narn. I guess Jakar was really serious about sacrificing the Narn. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many um, breachers or ground troops or whatever they can put in one of those breaching pods. Because it seems like their intent would probably be to to send them to CNC to take over the ship. But it just didn't seem like they had enough people to be able to accomplish that task. Well, I kind of got a um, head cannon for that, but... This was the scouting party to soften B5 up for the main assault. Uh. And so you only have one breaching pod at this time, but in the next assault, you might have five, ten show up. Yeah, it just seems like those ships could be taken out so fast that they probably should have sent them all at once. Mm. But no one's a tactical genius like um, Sheridan. He's our hero, so... <laughs> what did he do? Win. He just shot things at it, right? He didn't do any <laughs> tactical genius scene, did he? <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, the enemy Star Furies do some damage. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where Sheridan falls, but you don't see him fall, and they just cut to him already on the ground, and he gets up because they couldn't get a stunt. Can't <laughs> do a stunt fall. The Churchill took a lot of damage, but it's too late for anybody to escape. So it was their last heroic act. They rammed the Roanoke. This is another thing you you didn't see on other sci-fi's like Star Trek. One ship yeah. ramming another, which is completely an effective tactic, but ramming speed is kind of the last resort. Sure. Yeah, we had to help them out. She's going out. This one of us watching it almost gets taken out when she's seeing this. And then we see the Alexander firing on the Agrippa, and there's more fighting on the station. D5 joins in the attack on the Agrippa. And Sheridan tries to get them to surrender, but it's too late. They explode. And there's still fighting going on in Brown Sector. And Clarence says it's great that it ended now because they couldn't have taken more damage, but... 
Famous oh, no. last words. <laughs> yeah. I love Clarence's little, oh no. <laughs> and this coming up, JMS was saying on the commentary, this is a lot of people's favorite moment from the show. And what DeLynn says <laughs> is like their favorite line from the whole five-year run. It was oh, yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah. So more enemy ships arrive, but four Minbari ships arrive. I think it was four. Yes. That's all they needed. Well, yeah, she said, four cruises and the White Star, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Delyn says the B five is under her protection. Sheridan looks so impressed when she, <laughs> when she sees Delyn on the screen because before we yeah, when those ships arrive, James was saying that like Sheridan realizes that he's lost and there's nothing you know, they can do. But she reminds the Earth ships that Sheridan's the only one who's destroyed a Minbari warship, so they need to get out. <laughs> so yeah, they they leave pretty quickly. Home. Yeah, they leave pretty quickly. When <laughs> she says like okay, we're out of here. <laughs> So after they go, uh, we see prisoners in the dead and wounded in Brown Sector, and Zack is helping Garibaldi, who's hurt, and we see Minbari ships flying around B-5. So this is the other, when you say there's another broken arm, a broken story. So apparently Garib, that who plays Garibaldi broke his arm when they were filming the battle scenes. He calls this episode Severed Limbs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you say he actually broke his arm? Yes. Yeah. But in the episode, he broke. hurt his leg. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that he broke his arm after they filmed the scene where his leg was hurt. So they kind of end up later on, spoiler alert, changing it to a broken arm. Yeah. Wow, because didn't Ivanova actually break her leg in an earlier season? And they had that. Yeah. Wow. Yep. yep. Yeah. Boy, this was a this was a hazardous show to work on. <laughs> no wonder they wouldn't let Sheridan fall down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe they shot that after Garibaldi broke his arm. No, to break no, his we're, not risk, we're not risking anybody. <laughs> yeah. So after the battle, apparently B five lost a lot of fighters, so some of the Churchill's fighters are gonna stay on B five, so I guess B five is gonna get those nice bolts. You know? Yeah. JMS was saying they tried to come up with some futuristic bandages for Sheridan, but they didn't look great, so they ended up using regular bandages. <laughs> what would a futuristic bandage look like? Duct tape? Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, it, no, it'd be um, a patch of the waffle weave stuff that um, oh, Franklin yeah. wears. <laughs> right. yeah, Sheridan gets notified that Delyn is on board, and Ryan's going to leave so they won't be in the same place. He's going to go look for other ships that are on their side. And Sheridan's not going to put his uniform back on until it's all over. He's going to wear his leather jacket. <laughs> Garibaldi's hurt. His leg's going to heal. Heal. And they're getting rid of the Nightwatch people they know about, so they might have to worry about sabotage for a while. Set up. Yeah. <laughs> Delane arrives, and he's so grateful to see her. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There needs to be <laughs> a happy medium between um, the Ivanova and Talia thing that just like came out of nowhere and this that is taking <laughs> a million years. <laughs> well, it, it was interesting on the commentary, JMS was saying this is the first time we see an attraction between Oh them. my what? god. Like, wait, wait, what have we been <laughs> the hug is in the credits. I mean, that's so- <laughs> Okay. Yeah. My, and plus, well, she's been flirting supposed- with him since he got there. 
Yeah. It's... <laughs> no. Sorry, it, Ian. No. It's 20 years of <laughs> TB education we're working with here. No, no. It's there. It was obvious <laughs> it's <up>. there. <laughs> I mean... Jack the Ripper knew it was there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Which yeah. really sounds weird. Take it out of context. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's part of the reason I think that um, Farscape went about its uh, romance stories the way it did and actually went quite quick with developing feelings between some characters. You know, um, that B5 wasn't the only one which was doing this, uh, you know, dragging things out so long. And since B5, we've seen things get dra- dragged out a bit, but you're right, it, it eats from this perspective quite long. It's been a year and a half. And the fact that JMS wrote all of these episodes and he thinks that this is the first time that there was attraction. <laughs> that means it's going to be a long time before it happens because in wow. his mind, this is the first sign of it. Ah! Oh my god. <laughs> That's assuming it will happen. Oh, it has to yes. happen. It is assuming it will happen. There has to be a Mimbari human-alien hybrid baby. And there will as soon as Lanier finally admits that he loves Corwin. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow, I didn't see that. Jess <laughs> did say something else. He said there was like kind of an attraction with um Delin and Sinclair in season one. He said it must be the uniform. <laughs> Just kind of what Heidi and Elizabeth have been saying. I'm I'm so glad that he uh, that he saw that one. Because, you know, there was marriage there, so because that one was a lot more subtle, except for the marriage part. Exactly. I've always thought of it as duty versus genuine feeling. Because in season one, Delenn was sent to watch over Sinclair, and she felt it a duty to get close to him. Freaking Matahari there. <laughs> Whereas in um, when Sheridan came along, she from the beginning you you saw it in her that you know she was attracted to him right from the start. <laughs> Although uh, not JMS, he didn't see it. No. <laughs> well, JMS is the only the one a- didn't see the that. <laughs> the actors really have been playing it. <laughs> Yeah, Sheridan says it was so great seeing her face on that screen. And she's like, she said that she couldn't abandon her partner. Aww. <laughs> and he kisses. <laughs> and he kisses her hand. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she kisses her hand. <laughs> and the others arrive. And they kind of give him a look, too. Like, okay. uh-huh. uh, <laughs> Sheridan and Delan sitting in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like the level that we're on right now. Absolutely. <laughs> that chase, you know. Ha-ha. <laughs> uh, so Ivanova's a little banged up, but she wanted him to see something. And in the commentary, I can't remember which the first one was. I thought I wrote it down, but JMS said this was another TV moment, and he kind of doesn't think he should have done this next part, but he didn't want to leave on too much of a down note. Oh, the slow remember, flat part? I can't remember what the other moment was, what he said was a TV moment, but... That was well, when, it is TV, um, so. 
That, the other moment was having Ivanova go out with the um, oh, yeah. Scrooton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's why he said it. he shouldn't. She shouldn't have been out there. But um, this is a crowd gathered in the Zocalo, and they start slow capping, slow clapping for them. Except for so, one centauri folds his arms. <laughs> well, I have questions about that. Like, the centauri, I mean, Londo even, are they're on the station. Are they going to leave? I, I, yeah, I have questions. Well, up until this point, it's been a place of commerce. And, you know, you've got almost every race that um, the others are in contact with here on Babylon 5. So business is really easy here rather than going all over the place. It's not just for diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So we see the sign in the background says traders can't hide. They zoom in on it and play some ominous music. <laughs> Although you can read it two ways. You can read it that our B5 crew can't hide from Earth or Earth can't hide from our B5 crew. I thought they zoomed in on it because they had like a tear in the middle of it. That's the other thing, you know, that it's now off the station, but it's still there. The problem with Earth hasn't gone away. Yeah, the commentary JMS said that this episode was a nightmare to produce, even though it's probably their you know, best episode up to this point. Uh, they were editing it up until an hour before the satellite uplink to get the show on the air. <laughs> yeah, the average script has, TV script has about 60 to 75 scenes. From time to five, B5 had gone up to 130 shots, but on this one, I think they had 147. I think CG said. shots, that is, isn't it? I think this was total scenes. Oh. CG shots, they had about 65, or maybe it was just that one scene mm. at 65. In the span of just four pages, there are about 100 effect shots and practical shots. I can't imagine how expensive this episode was for them to film. There will be no CG for the rest of the season. <laughs> That's what BSG did. Like, yeah. We, if you see a space fight, then we're not going to have any like CG in the next episode. Hmm. Well, we, we talked last week about the Atmo drop Yeah. Uh, and how expensive that was for them. That's why we got the boxing episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he was talking about the um, the severed dreams explanation. He was saying, I had a much more elegant reply, but it entered Borlon's space and hasn't been allowed out again. So, yeah, those are all my notes. This was kind of like a three-part series, three-part episode, kind of. So, do we have any quotes? <laughs> Do we have quotes? <laughs> Who's going to take the Delen quote? Because that... <laughs> Which quote? One. I have one. I have the one. When she's... I'm talking about the Delen quote. I'll do another Delen. I don't think it's the one you're talking about. I served the council for 16 cycles. I was the chosen of Dukat to replace him. I held him when he died. His blood is on my hands, his spirit in my eyes, his word on my lips. You will step aside and, in his name and mine, or in Valen's name, 
I will tear the ship apart with my bare hands until I find them. Move aside. Go. That was some <laughs> interesting words. Hers blood is on my hands, his spirit in my eyes, his word in my lips. All right, I'm going to go with a Sheridan one. Let me... <laughs> I just lost the quote again. Well, we're in it now. <laughs> okay, then. I'll do the Delenn quote then. This is Ambassador Delenn of the Minbari. Babylon 5 is under our protection. Withdraw. Be destroyed. Negative. We have authority here. Do not force us to engage your ship. Why not? Only one human captain has ever survived battle with the Minbari fleet. He is behind me. You are in front of me. If you value your lives, be somewhere else. Awesome. It is so awesome. Well, if you can cut that audio, it needs to go in the show because I'm not doing it justice. Yeah, there's a line for that that's that surrender or be destroyed always sticks in my head. I don't know if I heard it first on this show or some other show, but I always love that that kind of thought, I guess. What I love about it is the way she's actually phrased it that, you know, if you value your lives, be somewhere else. That bit yeah. is kind of cool because Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I have this one from Major Ryan. Uh, Bring us in closer to the enemy. And then the other guy says, how close? And he says, right down their throats. Any other quotes? I'll do the um, Sheridan one then, which comes from both Sheridans. Never start a fight, but always finish it. And then his father follows that up with, do what you have to do, son. Don't worry about us. Mm. And that makes me sad. I'm afraid his parents are going to die. Yeah, me too. I kind of want to live on a farm. We kind of did, when I was growing up, we kind of did live on kind of a farm. We had like fields and pigs and horses. Oh. I want to go live on a farm. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. I wasn't doing any of the work. (laughs) But yeah, it is a lot of work. Um... I used to kind of joke to say when I was young, say when I retire, I want to live in a log cabin in Oregon, but never thought I'd actually live in Oregon at that time. (laughs) (laughs) So who are our characters of the week? Who's our human of the week? Jane. Painkiller Jane. uh, I would love to give it to her because Sheridan can get it on any episode, even though he really is key in this episode. For once, let's give it to someone like Jane. Mm. Okay, with Jane. Not oh, yeah. me, but that's okay. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go for someone else. I'm just saying it, it's a really good opportunity because she's always been there and she needs some recognition. Who is our alien of the week? Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. Dylan. Oh, and before we move on, um, last time we we talked about the Hugos, we actually talked about the other um, candidates. I looked it up uh, for the one where Severed Dreams won. The other um, candidates were um, Independence Day, Mars Attacks, Mm -hmm. 
Star Trek First Contact and Deep Space Nine episodes Trials and Tribulations. Nah, that was an okay episode. But mm. uh, I, I would have given it to this or First Contact if I do that. Hmm. The interesting thing, First Contact, written by Ronald D. Moore. Yeah. Well, he's one of two credited um, writers for the screenplay. I should have written for Babylon 5. <laughs> he was under contract to Star Trek at the time, so yeah. he couldn't. Would have been nice if he could have. Whenever it comes, what is he working on now? Is he... The weird thing oh, is he, he, was, he was doing Helix, wasn't he? Mm, yeah. I would just looked at it as well. He also did the screenplay for um Trials and Tribulations. Oh. <laughs> so he got nominated for two of his works and was beaten by B five and JMS. Nice. So let us rate this episode. You wanna start us out, Mitch? I'm gonna go ten out of ten discarded Earth Force jackets. Nice. Ten out of ten. What about you, Heidi? I also have to go 10 out of 10. Um, 10 out of 10 amazing Mimbari entrances. <laughs> Are you saying Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah. 10 out of 10 um, points of no return for real. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to break the stride. It's another 10 out of 10. This time, 10 out of 10 dead nons in a row. <laughs> I'm going to stay with this three. I'm going to say 10 out of 10 correct decisions by Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is our first 10 out of 10. <laughs> perfect 10. No explanation needed, just 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to sa- extra to say, you know, awesome episode. So let us get in some brand new Thunderbolts and head to Feedback Land. <laughs> Don't blow it up. Don't blow it up. Everyone, thank you for filling our mailbox this week. We got a lot of feedback. Excellent. Our first is an email from Derek. I'll take this one. Dearest Ambassadors, I thought this episode was my favorite episode of the entire series. Then I thought about episodes in the future and realized it just now cracks the top five. Suffice to say, it was awesome. My favorite episode to this point in the series. Some brief observations. One, when Sheridan mentions he wants to keep Epsilon 3 and draw in his pocket, he should have said, I would love to use that magnificent machine and draw to save our collective butts, but we just blew our entire special effects budget on the space battle. <laughs> Thank goodness Delenn just got here. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Two, Damn, Sheridan got dissed by Delenn at the end with the kiss on the hand. It's like saying I love you to someone and not getting a response back. Awkward. Mm. Three, the Great Council needs a better staff. If all it takes is one person to break it and collapse the entire Minbari government after a thousand years of rule, you would think they would have spent a little more money and gotten something a little more solid. Reminds me of when Gandalf broke Saruman's staff. Your stuff is broken. <laughs> oh, that was me saying that, not Derek. <laughs> now back to Derek. <laughs> My favorite quote of the entire series is in this episode. After Lynn has arrived with her fishy-shaped ships and plays a little game with chicken with the Earth Force, cru- Earth Force cruisers, 
I'm sure someone has already said it, but it's awesome. Quick joke. What is a British person's, British person's favorite meal on Babylon 5? Fish and ships. Sorry, oh, Ian. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh. Sorry, it is bad in a stereotype, but I'm originally from Kentucky and a male nurse, so feel free to make whatever jokes you want to about my stereotypes in return. I've not got any. <laughs> this is the episode that broke the mold for me. There is no legal wrangling about bad orders or the chain of command. It was just plain old space battles and civil war, fighting for awesomeness against the snobby Earth dictators. I hope I'm not breaking the rules of scoring and physics, but this is 10 out of 10 ships that look like fish for me. <laughs> a barring, <laughs> a barring someone taking that 10 out of 10 Star Trek like explosions on the command bridge. Yeah, that was like very Star Trek like hmm. that explosion that knocked Sherry well, over. Well, the one on the, um, ship more so because they actually had the, um, space wobble. Yeah. I have no human or alien of the week because everyone had to pull their weight for this episode to save their lives. Well, except for Londo. So everybody gets VIP of the week except Londo. And maybe Kosh, but I don't want to upset him lest he invade my dreams again. <laughs> Viva Babylon 5 station. Sincerely, Derek. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Derek. And thanks, Derek. Next, we have a comment from Board 99 A very quick one. I can yeah. take it. So, I think we all know what the quote of the week is. Uh, yeah. yeah, we do. Obviously, I haven't seen every single televised episode of this sort of thing ever made, so apologies to fans of Spaceship Battleship Yamamoto or whatever, but at least as far as my experience goes, Severed Dreams remains 19 years later, the single best episode of pure space opera ever put on television. At the moment when Delenn appears and delivers that speech, still one of the best moments of television for me, full stop. Also, I've expressed the opinion that Boxliner should have played Superman. It turns out that Sheridan's dad is Park Kent. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, it's a shamelessly over-the-top, just plain farmer, but he can see that he's sure as shooting his wonderful plumness that's going to take some fixing. Heartland stereotype. That's one hell of a <laughs> stereotype. Wow. Board. <laughs> that was difficult to say because it was just one run-on word. Just as plain farmer, but he can see that this sure as suiting is one plum down plumness that's going to take some fixing. That's all one long run. <laughs> 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 oh, but thanks anyway, Ward. Thanks, Ward. Thanks, Ward. Next, we have an email from Melanie W. Okay, I can take this one. Hi, Down Below. This is often considered one of the best episodes, and I agree. If you ask me, mo most of the competition is still ahead of us. Well, that's nice to know. I'll get the smaller notes out of the way first. Londo doesn't like having Narns on the security, and Jakar has invited himself to the group. Still no explanation of why they're not formally inviting him. Clarence has probably figured out what Ivanova was asking him about on their not date. I don't know. He looked a little I'm slow. not sure. <laughs> 
I watched the episode four times this week, including your commentary and the one by JMS, and I still ended up on the edge of my seat at some point this morning and stayed there until it was over. It was clear that Sheridan wanted to negotiate his way out of the situation, but it didn't work, and Babylon 5 is now an independent state. What I really like about this episode is that it doesn't come with the reset button at the end. This isn't about overthrowing Clark and restoring some status quo. It's about our characters surviving this battle. Meanwhile, Delenn breaks the Great Council. That scene would have been made without cuts, but the staff wouldn't break. Five members went with her, and five members weren't of the warrior cast. Coincidence? The Battle of Babylon 5 was action-packed, but a bit hard to follow. Clarence gave the necessary information. The station can't take any more hits, and the second wave of ships is coming. What followed was my second favorite piece of dialogue in the series when Delenn arrived. I'm sure someone has quoted it by the time you're reading this. <laughs> the episode could have ended on a high note, but I'm glad it didn't. All too often, the big battle end in victory. The big battle ends in victory for the characters whose names we know and don't see hear anything about anyone else. This episode shows us the aftermath of the fight in Brown Sector, and Major Ryan mentions the Churchill and her crew. Rating 9.1. Bonus for Delenn arriving in the White Star and saving Babylon 5? 0.5. Final rating, 9.6. Independent stations. Human of the week, Sheridan. Alien, Delenn. Quotes. There's nothing in this episode that I wouldn't quote, but here are some of the highlights. Um, Sheridan. I don't think we read this one. Um, President Clark has violated the Earth Alliance Constitution by dissolving the Senate, declaring martial law, and personally ordering the bombing of civilian targets on the Mars colony. He is personally responsible for the deaths of hundreds of innocent people. Following these attacks, Orion 7 and Proxima 3 have broken away from the Earth Alliance and declared independence. Babylon 5 now joins with them. As of this moment, Babylon 5 is seceding from the Earth Alliance. And then we have the quote from Delenn about, uh, well, her trying to get on the, the ship. <laughs> I mean, to see the Grey Council. Um, Sheridan, um, thank you seems poor and inadequate. I don't know how much this costs you personally, and I suspect I never will. But I want you to know that seeing your face at that moment was probably the single finest moment in my life. Oh. Delenn, it seems that this is the only home we have left. How could I abandon, as you say? My partner. Now kiss me. I know, on the hand. <laughs> that last part was subtext. <laughs> um, we have the never start a fight but always finish it. Um, and do you want me to keep going? Uh, there's a, cute, a few more. The Narn security guard. How strange. I am not getting a confirmation on your identicard. Londo. Please, you know who I am. Narn. Yes, I know who you are, Ambassador, but the computer you see does not. <laughs> The next uh, one's really good. That's a good quote, but it gets overshadowed by everything else, so you always forget about it. Yeah. Um, the next one is Sheridan about the Alexander. They've suffered heavy damage, and they need a place to make repairs. And they're coming here. Ivanova. Well, we're screwed. <laughs> 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 and then the last one, of course, is uh, the one that we've all sort of quoted. Uh, the Lens speech. Best regards, Melanie, the Krakowian beer fan. Thanks, Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. Next, we have email from Lori Carl. All right, I'll take this one. Hello, ambassadors. Carl sends his belated ratings for point of no return. <laughs> rating. Will, will you do this rating for me, please? Five kick-ass moments. Thank you. 
Um, wow, that's a really high score. Yeah. I think. I, well, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think three was the high, but yeah. now we're getting fours and fives, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> alien, Londo, and Veer duo. Human, dude that threw the bottle. Um, Okay, now on to this episode. This is another packed episode where we find out that Mars and Io are in rebellion and ISN has been shut down and attacked. Right before we lose contact with ISN, they say they had been hiding some intel for a year. Thoughts as to what that was? Mm. What do you think, Elizabeth? (laughs) Uh, that's like, I think I mentioned that I would like to know this, but, yes. um, yeah. Maybe something uh, about, um, about President Clark or about the... Maybe it was um, a secret, the whole secret, uh, you know, what was that, you know, the person in San Diego when it was like... Yeah. That whatever it was called, the room or whatever. Hmm. Maybe that. I don't know. All right. Um, we also find out that many non-aligned wor- worlds are siding with the shadows so that they have protection against the Centauri. That sheds a different light on Morden's and the shadows' motivations in their dealings with Londo. It may shed a different light, but it doesn't actually help any. It sheds a different shadow for me. <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Carl yeah, very much. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I have to bring this over to this podcast because on Castlecast, when people use this word that I won't say to describe uh, Detective Kate Beckett, I say Liam Neeson instead. So (laughs) when I say Carl very much enjoyed seeing Liam Neeson Delenn, you can infer what that means. Um, (laughs) Seeing her address the council and get five to follow her he assumed the warriors stayed after martial law was declared and mars seceded carl called they would bomb it sad but correct carl also noted that sheridan's talk with his dad was depressing but it was interesting to see him after hearing the rain story Mm -hmm. oh yeah Once B-5 decides to fight rather than surrender, it was good to see that most of the crew were loyal, and especially Clarence. He Mm -hmm. is sticking with them. We felt that Ivanova was correct in joining the squadron. She did need to do it for morale. One of Carl's complaints was that the pod invasion was not well choreographed. The Norn seemed to be lining up to get shot. There was lots of random (laughs) jumping around. (laughs) Yes. However, the space battle scene was pretty epic, and there was lots of cheering when Delenn showed up. We particularly liked her great put-down to the Earth ships regarding Sheridan's war record. We were glad to see they sent Nightwatch back to Earth, as Carl had commented they should do that last episode. These were good episodes to watch back-to-back, as they seem like a two-parter. And now I think they have reached the point of no return, having severed ties with Earth. The scene with Dylan and Sheridan was sweet, but Carl says they will never get together at the rate they were going. (laughs) (laughs) Carl enjoyed this one a lot, but the previous one a bit more. So Carl's rating is four, walk through the fire and let it burn. Oh, that sounds going to be in my head all day now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Set, giant space battle explosions. Ship, they are all burning. (laughs) (laughs) Alien, Delenn. Human, the first marine through the breach. (laughs) And Lori, rating 9.75. Alien, Delenn, human, Sheridan. 
Thanks, Thank Larry. you, Carl. Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you. Next, we have an email from Anka. I'll take this one. Hi, Down Below team. I'm not sure if it has been mentioned before, but this episode is actually the brilliant finale of a three-part episode arc, and it always has me on the edge of my chair. The last episode did the last episode that did this to me was the long twilight struggle, but this time we had two arc-heavy episodes leading up to kind of a mid-season finale. That was Babylon 5 firing on all cylinders, or rather out of all gun ports. Severed Dreams had space battles, even though I'm not into B5 for space battles. Small for war crimes done by Eartha Clark. Difficult decision for the B5 team to fight back. I like how Franklin puts their options on the tables from court-martial to death sentence. And the whole tension before the fight starts. So many well-delivered lines. Note that Sheridan has learned to give speeches. This, the whole build-up to the final fight is just so well done. With every second scene, more and more of the ugly Clark regime is revealed, and more and more colonies are breaking away from Earth. Even the quite unrealistic ISN news report is cool, and it's dramatic and that's what matters. It's dramatic and that's what matters. Now the enemy is coming for our heroes, and so Sheridan picks up his phone and calls his dad. Man, that gave me chills. Speaking of well-delivered, this is just heartbreaking. That's the guy with the garden hose who taught Sheridan the golden retriever look. <laughs> Meanwhile, Delenn is off tearing ships apart with her bare hands and breaking some councils before they forgot because they forgot what their prophecies were all about. Well, after a thousand years, I would have had my doubts as well. But I wouldn't want to be in Delenn's way either when she was finished with the Grey Council. Even though the episode is centered around the human conflict, it won't let us forget that there is a bigger enemy out there and that it all links together. And then she comes back in the last moment to save the day. Sheridan's face is the face of the beaten hero when he hears that there are more ships, more jump points opening above Babylon 5, and then it's her. I probably jumped up and down the first time I watched that scene. Mm -hmm. That was my personal point of no return for Babylon 5, and my shipper heart was sold as well. No kiss necessary. <laughs> Best quote... I know some of us may choose Delenn's fantastic kick-ass be somewhere else lines, and this moment is great, but there is another moment when I learned something from the episode. Years later, this saying is still important to me. I try to follow as best as I can. Never start a fight, but I always finish it. I vote for Sheridan Delenn for best human and alien of the episode. Severed Dreams was dramatic and fast-paced with time for the dead silence before a fight. With a huge battle involving the station of well-delivered lines and declarations, and in the end, it had to lend save saving the day. What more do you need, or what do you need more? I give it ten out of ten stations and colonies succeeding from Earth Alliance. Greetings from Summary, Vancouver, Anka. Thanks, Anka. Thanks, Anka. Anka. Yeah, you remind me something I was gonna point out that there's parallels of Severed Dreams here. That I didn't quite point out. You've got the severed dream ties being severed from Earth, but you've also got the Grey Council being severed. Another parallel between Membari and human culture. Uh, things are happening concurrently in each culture. Next, we have an email from Todd. Let's take that one. Okay. So Todd starts out by saying. I have meant to leave feedback many times for previous episodes, but never seemed to think about it until after you had recorded. However, I knew I had to send something if in for this episode 
then I promptly forgot about it until 2.30 in the morning <laughs> on the day you will be recording. So I'll keep this brief, and I'm sure you've got a boatload of feedback. I'm also sure others have mentioned behind-the-scenes info from the Lurker's Guide and the DVD commentary. I'll keep my... Uh, sorry, I'll keep this about my opinions of this episode. When it first aired, it was my favourite episode of any TV show ever. Television shows, at least in America, were so different back then. They were very episodic, with no real changes happening to the characters or setup of the show. By the time this episode aired, B5 had already proven it was something different. Still, to actually break away from Earthlights and to do it in such a dramatic fashion was amazing. Space battles prior to this were so very different. When one or two ships fired, one or two shots sat at each other. It was exciting television. <laughs> this episode was far beyond anything else on television. A couple of... Sorry, a couple that... Couple that with dramatic speeches and music, and it was beyond amazing. I don't know if I could pick an absolute favourite show anymore with the quality of shows we've had in recent years, but I'm sure this one would still be on the short list of my candidates. Favourite alien, Delenn. Favourite human, Sheridan. Rating, 10 out of 10, why not? <laughs> awesome rating. I appreciate the effort you're putting into the podcast. I eagerly anticipate the release of new episodes each week. And special thanks to Heidi and Elizabeth for our extra commentary episode. I know it must be hard to find extra available time together and record a commentary. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Todd's always one of the first people to like the post whenever an episode gets posted. <laughs> Will is keeping track. <laughs> I just noticed. <laughs> okay, I'll take Michael's. Hi, everyone. I hope this feedback has sneaked in at the 11th hour as this is simply a stunning episode. I've been looking forward to this one since the start of the podcast, and my girlfriend, who hasn't seen any of B5, decided to sit and watch it with me to see why I was so excited. I wonder how it went. <laughs> the action yeah. was great throughout, epic space battles and gritty face-to-face boarding actions. I particularly liked the scene near the end showing the bloody aftermath of the hand-to-hand fight as it really hit home the cost of victory. The station breaking away from Earth in the face of the bombing of civilians on Mars has long been predicted by the ambassadors, but did you think it would lead to such a dramatic military response from Clark? Yeah, that was pretty pretty dramatic. I agree. Mm-hmm. Delenn breaking the Grey Council and then riding to the rescue at the end just ramped up the awesome. I could talk for days about all I loved in this episode, and it is possibly my favorite TV episode ever, but time is short. Favorite human, Sheridan, showed leadership and conviction to stand for what is right, knowing the likely consequences. Favorite alien, Delenn, mainly for her speech to the attacking human ships. Speaking of that, favorite quote, Delenn's epic quote... Episode rating, it'll be no surprise after my gushing. 10 out of 10 faulty identicards. <laughs> as ever, keep up the great work as there are many more super episodes to come. Michael, UK podcast fan. Oh, Thanks, thank, you, thank you, Michael. Michael. 
I want to know how your girlfriend liked it. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Always good to hear from new viewers. Our next email is from Yan. All right, I will take this one. Hello, down billowers. Here is some feedback for Babylon 5 Season 3, Episode 10, Severed Dreams. This time we were not watching together, but Jarsto and I decided to do another joint feedback. So here comes... This is a packed episode. What we see on screen. I really find the episode title very fitting. The dreams of both Delenn and Sheridan are completely shattered, and they have to make some extremely tough decisions. If we thought we had seen Delenn furious before, this is the episode where she shows intensity. While Dural isn't called in to help with the defense, the use of the holographic system does mean Sheridan is showing off his access to advanced non-human technology, but not necessarily the power of the planetary defenses. Oh wait, we that st- just reminded me, because we didn't see Dural. Wouldn't it be funny if the next time we saw Dural, it was played by a third actor? Like <laughs> 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 yeah. a really young guy. Yeah, yeah. He's getting younger, and then as a kid... Yeah, he's he's throwing down. (laughs) We see the men from the breaching pod blow through a wall and come through that hole from both sides. The pod itself would be down on the outside of the spinning station, so presumably they came up in an empty area between rooms and then cut their way through. Sheridan calls on the Roanoke to surrender after Hiroshi has already rammed it. This is a CGI mistake. The Agrippa should have been the ship rammed by the Churchill, not the Roanoke. Well, those of us that can't tell what the heck's going on in space battles, it doesn't matter. Uh, The episode doesn't follow the classic let's end on the victory trope. Instead, we get to see the bloody aftermath and the first start toward rebuilding. Very powerful TV. A bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. General Haig was supposed to be in this episode, but Robert Foxworth was double-booked and filming DS9 instead. So Haig had to die and Major Ryan was brought in. Garibaldi's look of pain after the fight scene is very real. Jerry Doyle broke his arm during the fight, and the scene of Zack helping him down was shot before he got any treatment. The scene which shows him and the cane had already been shot earlier. We're going to find out that Dr. Franklin made a mistake and Garibaldi actually broke his arm and he treated his leg. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> now for the favorite. Um, Yan's human is Clarence Corwin for making the right decision. Mm-hmm. And Alien is Delenn for her speech in the council and the return to B5. Jarstow's human is Sheridan and Alien is Delenn. Um, quotes, we have Delenn's, we have Londo's, we've done that. Um, here's one from Delenn I don't think we did. They will see whether they like it or not. It's time someone made them face reality. Um, Another one from Delenn that we already did. Uh, Sheridan, if anyone wants to leave, do so now before you violate any regs. And we already talked about that blooper quote from Major Ryan. Um, Episode rating, this this is one of our favorite episodes of the whole B5 run, so... Yan, 10 out of 10 Mimbari in a council chamber. Jarstow, 5 out of 5 religious and worker cast Mimbari. That's all from us. Be careful, for you now have reached the point of no return. Jarstow and Yan, the Babylon Lurker. Thank thanks, you. guys. Yeah, once again, thanks for all the feedback, everybody. Wow, that was great. Yeah. 
It's mail at downbelowpodcast.com or the Facebook page or the uh, website. So now let's get into some predictions. The next episode is Ceremonies of Light and Dark. It doesn't sound familiar. Maybe I saw the episode title for the next one. Or the next next one that I probably forgot. Ceremonies <laughs> of Light and Dark. Sounds like a Mimbari thing. And uh, to me it sounds like uh, the Council of Light versus the Shadows. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like we have to take a break from the battles, but but then again, we have this whole buildup with the shadows. But then again, they spent a lot of money on CG. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, maybe Mr. Morton comes back and we get some talk that way. Or maybe Kosh is finally back and yeah, that's kind of what counsel that way. Yeah, maybe Kosh is back and um, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. Maybe we find more, find out more backstory on the whole shadows and shadow war. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that episode, I really want to know. Well, for one, what Wando is going to do now, but also how they can justify him staying, because I don't feel like he's going to leave, but I feel like after these events, he should. And so I'm very. They should kick him, kick him out. You mean? Well, yeah. Like, why would he stay there? I mean, he's basically like on the other side. You know, like he's he's not with Earth, but he's definitely against Babylon Five now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm well, very interested to see how they'll do that. I don't know because I would think from their perspective. Well, on the one hand, they don't want him really seeing what they're up to. But on the other hand, he still has a spark of humanity left, and or whatever Centauri left, whatever. <laughs> and um, maybe they, maybe that they can, you know, get to the Centauri through him. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like there are I, a lot of Centauri still there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, other than him being a main character on the show, like, what is his purpose? What is his role now? Right. Um, And I feel like they have to sort of come to an agreement with him in a way in order for it to make sense for him to stay. Like, I feel like he either needs to to come to their cause a little bit because, I mean, he doesn't like the shadows either at this point. So, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe like whatever is going to coming up with the shadows, you know, maybe that'll help drive him more to their side. Mm hmm. Um. Because now they're kind of aligning with all these other worlds and they're clearly, you know, getting ready to do something pretty big, a big maneuver. Um, and maybe whatever that is will push him one way or the other, you know, for, for good or get him off his, you know, the status quo that's happening right now. Um, and then also, you know, it's good for Veer to play off of him too. <laughs> exactly. So... Yeah, I don't know. Or I wonder if the Mimbari are going to be the Greek, the council are going to be, because it seems like that's a lot of ships. Do they each have their own ship? I mean, do they come with a big crew? I wonder what's going on with those ships. They just have them sitting there waiting outside the Great Council ship. I don't know. Like, are they going to be on the in on the whole, the meetings? You know, that's kind of what seems like they should be. It's yeah. Be a lot of Mimbari. Um... I don't know. 
So we both think uh, Sheridan's uh, parents are in a bit of danger. I think so, yes. Yeah. Ivanova doesn't really have anybody left. Right. But, uh, Sheridan, yeah, it's not good. Hmm. Here's a question for you, actually. What about Franklin's father? Oh, yeah. Because he's a general, right? Mm-hmm. What side is he on? Oh, I'm sure he's mm-hmm. on Earth's side. Yeah, I <laughs> like you would be. But, um, hmm, I don't know. That's a good question. Hmm. Maybe he'll try to reason with him. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I yeah, I mean, we're not even midway through the third season, so. I know. It's crazy. I'm actually running short on time, so I'm out of theories. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, we've gotten through it. Well, Mitch, thank you for joining us again this week. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope I'll be back sometime in the future. You already have your season four episodes picked out. Okay, <laughs> you already you know which one. I, you already know when I pick <laughs> All right. Well, that is all we have for this time, folks. We'll be back next time with ceremonies of light and dark. But until then, goodbye. Bye. Be seeing you. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com. Facebook.com slash group slash down below podcast and Twitter.com slash down below cast. 